Elizabeth? <laughs> okay, town crier. <laughs> Have you ever heard the saying, my brain is a dangerous place, I dare not go in there alone? Yeah. Okay, good, because I got that going on right now and I need your help. Well, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I want to go in your brain either. Probably a lot of... <laughs> bathroom humor and references to 80s movies no one's ever seen That's, in there. That is that is very true. That is very true. But uh, what, what I mean by that is that I need to fact check my thoughts. You know, just because I'm thinking or feeling something doesn't make it real. And recently I've been thinking a lot about my overthinking. So you've been overthinking your overthinking? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's uh it's it's uh it's busy in there. I've just been swirling around in my noodle about how I love to um future trip to uh um uh to disaster bait is the best way I've ever heard it described. You know, I'm I'm presented with this idea or this event or an obstacle and then I get all freaked out and super anxious and fearful about the outcome. And then I get like paralyzed into inaction. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think a lot of us go through that and or deal with that. Okay. Well, that's good. So what I mean is, for example, okay, it took me nearly a decade to get back into mountain biking after I got beat down on my first ride. I was 23 when I first tried mountain biking and I was in Telluride and I just got completely worked, totally worked and super embarrassed because I just wasn't magically awesome and, and talented at this new thing from the jump. And because of that embarrassment and really just the fear of looking stupid or inadequate again, I didn't pick it back up until this past summer. And are you better now? Uh, well, I fall all the time. Uh, but I think that's only because Mother Nature loves hugging me. I mean, I'm awful at mountain biking, but I love it. It's awesome. It really is. And I'm, I'm a little bit, um, I'm a little bummed at myself, honestly, for taking so long to get back into it. I feel like I maybe missed out on something. Hmm. You know, because here's the thing. I let fear talk me out of biking for 10 years. And it's not just mountain pursuits. I've let fear talk me out of plenty of things in my personal life and in my career, which is also that kind of like, you know, sadness when you look back. Mm -hmm. And it's and it's because I, I lack faith that I'm going to be okay. A lot of the time when I'm confronted with a challenge, I deploy dread to deal with it. And, and I think maybe that's because I think that the outcome will be so disastrous that I'll just zip off of the planet, that there won't be anyone or anything there to catch me if I fall. This idea of positive versus negative expectations was really on my mind when I spoke with pro skier and commercial fisher McKenna Peterson. Her life's journey has taken her all over the world, trying new things over and over again, one after the other. And she has an idea about life and pursuing new opportunities that seems really difficult to pull off. I believe in building your own net. Hmm, what is that net? And how in the hell do you build your own? Curious? I'm Patty O'Connell. And I'm Elizabeth Nakano. Welcome to Safety Third, a show about ideas and how we come to believe in them.
I just flew into Seattle a couple days ago to um, work on the boat. I broke a bunch of stuff this summer, so starting to try and fix it, which is a long process, especially because I don't really know what I'm doing. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, the like you know, from what I know of of repair of pretty much anything, you know, like I I go with the old saying of like if you can't duck it, fuck it. You know, so uh, I'm assuming that you can't use duct tape on, on your boat. So I'm just kudos to you. Yeah, I still use it a little bit, maybe more than I should. That's dirtbag welding right there. Right. That's good, that's good stuff. You you always need to have, yeah, you always got to have that. That's what I grew up with. So it's working. McKenna has been fishing in Alaska for her entire life, but she grew up in the mountains of Sun Valley, Idaho. Growing up skiing there with her family helped shape McKenna's love for the outdoors. But it did more than that. There was a specific day McKenna says helped shape who she would become. The first time that I skied top to bottom, Sun Valley Resort, Baldy, so the big resort, not the Bunny Hill. Mm -hmm. The first time I skied top to bottom on my own without having my dad pick me up and carry me. That's still one of my favorite memories. I was so determined to make it all the way to the bottom. And my little legs were shaking and, you know, I was like hanging out in the back seat the whole time for 3,000 plus feet. You know, I weighed like, I don't know, 30 pounds. (laughs) (laughs) How old were you? Oh, I must have been five. Wow. Five or six skiing 3,000 vert. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. (laughs) Why do you think that was so important to you to get all the way down by yourself? Because that's what my parents did. Hmm. That was what was fun and exciting to them was to go skiing. And, you know, they skied by them, they skied by themselves and they'd go top to bottom easily. So I watched them do it and thought, oh, well, I can do that too. I'm going to prove that I can do that too. Being independent and setting out on her own was something McKenna wanted to do, but she had to work at it. And what is the best life training ground? Why, summer camp, of course. There's this summer camp just north of Ketchum, Idaho, that I used to go to every summer. It's called Camp Little Laugh. It's an acting camp. And the first year I went was going to be, you know, my first summer camp experience, my first few nights away from my home, away from my parents. So mom drove me there to drop me off, and I did not want to stay. I think I threw a little bit of a fit and a freak out, and I didn't want to go. Why? I didn't want to leave my mom. I was scared. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I I was scared to be on my own. I was scared I didn't know anyone. Nobody would talk to me. You know, those normal things that kids get afraid of. So Right, especially at 12. Yeah. yeah. I jumped back in the car. We drove back to my house. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I was, no. you know, crying and had my arms crossed in the uh, passenger seat on the drive home. Oh, no. I realized oh. that my house wasn't that far away from the camp. Yeah. So I asked my mom, and she told me it was 12 miles. And I thought, well, at school, they made me run one mile, and that wasn't that bad. So I guess I could just run 12 miles if I don't like camp and go home. <laughs> so your your backup plan was to run basically it's like well if everything sucks i could just run nearly a half marathon and just get home <laughs> right you know and 
when you're 11, 12 years old, you don't really have a gauge of what that actually means. But yeah. in my mind, I had run one mile, so it didn't seem that hard to run 12. So that gave me the confidence to go. <laughs> and that is hilarious because as a 12-year-old, I was just like this kind of portly, like jiggly, like altar boy. And 12 miles running might as well have been, you know, 5 million or something. <laughs> It would have been, it would have been like 12 miles. Oh my God. You know, it's the other side of the moon. And you look at it and you were like, nah, 12 miles. I could probably just run that. If anything gets weird at camp, I'll just run home. Yeah, exactly. Or if I miss my mommy, I'll just, I'll just go home. McKenna didn't run back home. She stayed and she loved it. And these experiences laddered up to something bigger. In high school, McKenna got serious about ski racing. But she wasn't racing just for the love of skiing or for a little friendly competition. She had big goals, and she pursued them single-mindedly. So my grades were, you know, not the best, and I wasn't putting as much effort into my schoolwork as I should have been because, to me, skiing racing was more important. One day, my math teacher pulled me aside and asked you know, what I was doing, asked what my goals were with skiing. I told him, you know, I was either going to be on the U.S. ski team or I was going to race NCAA Division I, and that's what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And he asked me, well, what if you don't make it? And up until that point, I hadn't even thought of that. Really? Ski racing was so ingrained, and I had been doing it my whole life, that I, I just assume that's what I would continue to do. I didn't even know it was an option to not make it. The conversation with him really pissed me off. You know, like 16 years old, 15 or 16 years old. But he was right. And I mean, I didn't end up making it. I ended up, I was not good enough. I was not a good enough racer mm-hmm. to even race NCAA. So that was another time in my life where I realized, wow, I need to have I need to have some sort of safety net. I need to have a backup plan. When did you realize that? How long after that conversation did you realize that? Probably the end of that ski season. You know, that conversation obviously made an impact. So it was something I thought about for the rest of the ski season. Yeah. And on my mind was kind of like, oh, shit, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm not going to keep doing this. So by the end of that ski season, I was like, okay, if I, I'm going to try and continue to ski race, but if it doesn't work out, what else can I do? What was the answer? Um, I was also a dancer. I was a pretty serious ballerina growing up. Mm-hmm. So I decided I wanted to go to a college where I could both ski race and dance in case ski racing didn't work out or I couldn't make the team. I could also dance, you know, on top of my education. McKenna went to the University of Colorado. And she kept busy. She raced on the club team, was in the dance program, and was carrying a full schedule of classes. In trying a lot of different things, McKenna says she was actually prepping a lot of backup plans, which helps when you are presented with something you've never heard of. A girlfriend called me and said, hey, there's this big mountain competition in Crested Butte. You want to drive over for the weekend? I said, what's that? She showed me some videos online. I was like, yeah, that looks like fun. So we drove over to Crested Butte, competed in the Crested Butte Extremes, and it was probably the most fun I had ever had on skis. Why? I think it was mostly because of the people. 
Really? Yeah. The group of people that were there were fun and they were kind and passionate and welcoming and accepting. You know, I had, there were probably a dozen women that separately pulled me aside to see if I needed any help or give me advice. Competitors or just, or just people in the crowd? Competitors. Wow. Yeah. So it was like a big family and I loved that. And I loved how much everybody, how much fun everyone was having. Everyone just wanted to ski. Was that very different than what you experienced uh, in in ski racing comps? Yes, this was very different than ski racing. There was, I mean, it was competitive. Big mountain skiing was competitive, but it wasn't mean competitive. It was more of a camaraderie sport. Mm -hmm. So I knew I wanted to ski on the Free Skiing World Tour. I wanted to follow the tour. So I committed to doing that for a few years. Also, while going to school wow. and dancing in the beginning, but then I had to stop dancing. And you know, maybe after five or six years of competing, five years of competing, I actually thought, whoa, I could do this. I could actually make some money doing this. And this could be a career path. Is there one specific moment that stands out as kind of like you think of it as your like big break? Uh, signing with K2 was my big break for sure. Joining the K2 family pretty much allowed my career to take the next step. It wasn't just K2 that saw McKenna's potential. Photographers, magazines, and filmmakers all came knocking. In 2015, McKenna helped organize a human-powered, female-led expedition to Greenland to document glacier recession. The team made a film about their work, it was called Shifting Ice and Changing Tides, and it appeared in big-name festivals and won Best Environmental Message at the Backcountry Film Fest. McKenna's adventures have been in the pages of Outside, Ski, Powder, and Free Skier Magazine, to name a few. She's a regular with Stellar Media's film and photo projects, as well as Warren Miller ski films. When it comes to skiing, McKenna's career is on solid ground. But funny enough, you still need a net. You know, when you're standing on top of a line, especially a committing line, a ski line that has that could have major consequence if you mess up. Mm-hmm. It's scary, obviously, but thinking about all of the options helps me build confidence. So it's like the smaller scale of building my own safety net. I can look at the line and think, okay, if A happens, I can turn this way and go here. If B happens, I will react like this. I create options and scenarios. Just going through the process of thinking of all the scenarios and how I would react is what gives me the confidence to jump in. After the break, McKenna takes on her biggest leap of faith yet. My father was a commercial fisherman. He'd been fishing since he was 18. When he graduated high school, he did not want to go to college. He wanted to be a ski bum. And his parents kicked him out of the house. And he had a, a high school teacher that had connections in the commercial fishing world. So he called his teacher and got himself a job on a boat and quickly learned that commercial fishing was the ideal ski bum job. And that's what he did for the rest of his life. He fished in the summer and took the winters off and skied. So naturally, he brought all three of his kids into that. Mm -hmm. And 
when we were little, we would go up to Alaska and spend some time on the boat with him. But, you know, we'd, we'd go up for at least a week every summer. And then I started working for him when I was a teenager. And then when I was 18, I started working full time. I got pretty used to summers on the boat in Alaska and winters and Sun Valley skiing. So it was always, it was always kind of like, yeah, I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to make some money and then Mm -hmm. I'll figure out what I'm going to do from there. I never thought it was going to be my career path. McKenna has been full-time commercial salmon fishing for over a decade now, and she took over as captain of the family boat in 2017. But that was not planned. McKenna's father, Chris, was tragically killed in an avalanche while skiing in Montana. Chris was 55 years old. My father passed away um, at the end of 2016, and I guess... What we were going to do with the boat and the fishing business was almost a no-brainer that we had to keep it going. Me and my brother and sister all relied on it as a source of income as crew members. Yeah. So I just, I don't even, I don't even think I consciously made the decision to take over the business and run the boat. Yeah. I just did it. It it just, it just happened. Why do you, why do you think that is? It, it just felt right. I guess maybe I'm the one that was meant to be the fisherman. I mean, you said that you relied on this income, but was it also partly to honor your father? Yes, definitely. You know, my dad spent his whole life doing this. He mm-hmm. he built this business on his own. He was very successful at it, and he loved it. He loved fishing. Honoring him is is a big part of it. I wouldn't say that's the only reason why we're keeping the boat going but that's a big part and he would be proud he'd be pretty happy to see what what we're doing and when you took over the boat did you ever think shit i am in way over my head i have no idea what i'm doing right now or was it always this i've got this attitude or i'll figure it out attitude oh i'd say it's a combination there was a lot of, what am I doing? I don't know how to do this. And then there was also a lot of, okay, I have to figure this out, so I guess I'm going to figure this out. Mm-hmm. Um, I still don't have the full confidence of, oh, yeah, I got it. I don't know if I ever will have that. Well, what do you do when doubt and fear come up? So that's been hard with fishing. I jumped into it so quickly somehow or somewhere inside of me I have the confidence that I can do it or I can figure it out where do you think that confidence come from I think that in part it comes from just feeling like this is what I'm gonna do I guess more so than anything in my life this taking over the boat and becoming a fisherman is just what I'm going to do it feels like there aren't other options to me, it seems like you're almost standing on this like legacy of success in your life. You know, like when when you've had this these predetermined things like being a dancer or being a ski racer or or pursuing your your pro career, things have worked out. Do you think that the legacy of success in your past is now serving as your safety net now? Yeah, actually, that's exactly what I think is happening. So this has turned into a therapy session. How much do I owe you? <laughs> I'll send you an invoice. We'll have, to, 
have to work that out with Elizabeth and also the people at Duct Tape and Beer. It'll it'll be pretty sizable. So I hope you had a good season fishing. <laughs> oh, I think you're right. Legacy of success. I mean, it's it's nice to be able to it's nice to be able to say that. That's my foundation for right now. And that's what's holding me up. I know that I'll be able to figure it out. I'm not afraid of it. That's the other piece. I'm not afraid of not succeeding in this. Why? I'm not sure. I wouldn't necessarily say it's because I know that I will succeed because I don't know that. I guess it's because that doesn't matter. What matters is trying. And I guess every piece of my life is kind of a safety net for the other. It's a backup plan for the other and they all work together. So if one thing doesn't work out, I can concentrate more on the next. There will always be something else to do. I'm never going to be left, you know, empty-handed and lost with no direction. I'm confident that there will always be something. It's each individual task or goal that I'm not perfectly confident with. Does that make sense? I think so. I mean, it's it sounds like to me, rather than being crippled by fear, you kind of say, meh, fuck it. I'll figure it out when I leap, you know? Is that what it is? <laughs> Yeah, that is it. That is it. You know, I kind of see it as like, you ever heard the phrase, uh, you know, you've got to pray while walking? You know, the idea is that you've got to have action and faith hand in hand when you do things. You can't sit on the couch just hoping, wishing, expecting something to happen, but you also can't just blindly move forward. It's almost like tree skiing to me. If I'm looking at the tree, just focusing on the tree, I can't get surprised when I hit the goddamn tree. <laughs> I think that's why skiing is a great metaphor for life. I need to aim to where I want to be. I need to aim towards positive, open places. That is a great metaphor. Well, I'm quite artistic. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, aim for that powder stash, but also you know that tree's there. You know, maybe give it a little extra space. Right. I guess I don't, I don't like the idea of sitting back and waiting for things to happen or just sitting back to see what's going to happen. I like to go for it. I like to commit to trying to do something. Mm -hmm. Go for it. Try it. If it doesn't work out, there's always something else. You're going to be okay. Was there a day that you realized that? Like, was there, you know, for me, like, let me give you an example. I moved to uh, St. Paul, Minnesota when I was 29 years old. I actually went there to get sober. And after this inpatient treatment, I moved into a sober house and I'm like, I'm, I'm there with like 12 other guys. You know, it's like, it can be really hectic. It can also be really monotonous. Um, and I'm just like learning how to rebuild my life. Right. I'm walking around basically with, with my brain and my heart in like a Tupperware, like, please don't, you know, and it's lidless, you know, I'm like, please don't hurt me, you know? And, and then one day I woke up in my bed I sat up and I looked around and I felt different and I couldn't put my finger on it. And I realized that for like an entire week, I had just been happy, content. You know, it was, it was in the fall. Um, the leaves had slightly changed a bit and it was nothing really major, but nothing 
you know, nothing really unspecific as well. And I'm wondering if there was a day on the boat when you just realized, you're like, I, I've just been doing this and moving forward with confidence. You know, was it at the end of the day, you know, you were cracking beers with, uh, with your crew or you were alone in the wheelhouse looking at a sunset? Was there one specific kind of day when you realized, you're like, I'm actually doing this shit? Yeah, there was actually. It was a morning. I love driving the boat by myself early in the morning, like pre-sunrise and then through the sunrise. So I try and do that every day. I don't let anybody else drive during that time. That's my me time. And I was just leaving the fishing grounds. We were going back to Petersburg, Alaska to get some fuel and some food. And I was driving around a corner and the sun had just started to come up. It was not a spectacular sunrise. It wasn't that special of a morning for anything, for any reason. I just, I realized I was content. And I had been since I'd been up in Alaska and fishing. And it was maybe five or six weeks into the fishing season. And I looked behind me and there were these big, beautiful mountains on southern Baranoff Island that were just starting to get touched by the sun. So the mountains were glowing and the ocean was calm. And I just felt so in my spot, in my place. I felt like I belonged and I felt proud of myself and happy, just happy for, I guess the first time in a while, I'd been, I'd been so stressed and scared of what I was doing that those were kind of my overwhelming emotions leading up to the fishing season. And that morning I was, I was not stressed. I was not scared. I wasn't even thinking about the future. I was just content. And that's when I decided that this feels right. This is what I should be doing. For the first time in a long time, I was exactly where I was. And it was, yeah, all going to be okay. That was a good feeling. I'm still hanging on to that. And why is that important, to build your own net? It's important because it gives you the opportunity to see what else you could potentially be doing. So maybe you're not living to your full potential because there's something else out there that fits you better, but you don't know it exists. When you're building your own net, you explore those options. Some work and some don't, but it gives you the opportunity to see what you could do. And what would you say to somebody who doesn't know how to build their own net? Step out of your comfort zone, try something different, try something new, Talk to somebody who, you know, has a different life or beliefs and actually listen to what they're saying. And you may find something you like, you may find something that doesn't work, but you'll learn a lot in the process. What's the worst that could happen? You know, I love new adventures. I love trying new things, both in my personal and my professional life. But I can also very, very easily talk myself out of trying new things because I think fear eats up the desire to move forward because really I, I want to know what the outcome is going to be. I want to know that I'm going to be okay, but that is not how life works. No, that's not how life works. And I, <laughs> I am the same way as you where it scares me and it would be more comfortable to not try something new because it's scary. But if you realize that if you fail at that thing that you're trying, if it doesn't work, there's always something else to do. It's going to be okay. And if you get in the habit of trying a lot of new things, 
a lot of different paths. You just, you learn to trust that there's always a way. Life's gonna keep going. Go for it. Aim that way. You've been listening to Safety Third. Our guest today was McKenna Peterson. I'm sure that you guys want to see what she's up to and where she's fishing and or skiing. And the easiest way to do that is to follow her on Instagram at mck underscore p. If you like today's show, please tell your community. Safety Third is kind of like that dance that you went to in seventh grade. It's a smidge awkward on your own. And you let your mom talk you into wearing dockers when all you wanted to do was rock Bugle Boy. <sighs> but when you're grooving in the group, it's all gravy. Remember, friends don't let friends be lonely wallflowers. So tell your pals about Safety Third and get to boogieing down together. You can find us on Instagram at safety third underscore podcast and on the interwebs at safetythirdpodcast.com. Safety Third is produced by Elizabeth Nicano. Alex Park edited this episode. Additional production help from Eilish O'Neill. Music by my big but small, hairy, in strange places older brother, Brendan. I've been wearing the same t-shirt since 2005, O'Connell. Art direction by Anya Miller-Berg. Fitz Cahal is our creative director. Becca Cahal is our executive producer. And I'm your host, Patty O'Connell. Alrighty, my friends. Until next time, keep it tight, keep it loose, and remember, Safety third.